This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Interactive Brokers Mutual Fund Marketplace provides low-cost access to more than 46,000 mutual funds, including 36,000 no-load funds and over 18,000 no-transaction-fee funds. With no proprietary funds, the Mutual Fund Marketplace provides access to funds from over 520 third parties, including such prominent fund families as Allianz and BlackRock and, and even Fidelity. Interactive Brokers is also Benzinga's pick as number one best broker for mutual funds in 2002 again. Learn more at ibkr.com funds. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Big hopes for a little hike next meeting. January's rally starting to fizzle a little bit. Big layoffs, CapEx cuts announcements, all ahead of earnings reports. And our guest today is Frank Curzio, freshly back from CES in Vegas. All this and much more on episode number 800 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. What I want to do is get right into our guest today because I know there's going to be some fascinating discussion about what's going on because he is fresh back from Vegas at the Consumer Electronics Show and is our good friend Frank Curzio. Frank, you're rested, you're, you're back, you, you recovered? Finally recovered, yes. I mean, uh, it's a lot of work. And, and by the way, thank you so much for having me on the show. I miss you, Andrew. As always. Oh, man, well. let me tell you something. You... You know, people are like, well, what's the big deal, Frank? You know, you go to a show, you go to a, a trade show. But the thing that you don't know is, and maybe you do, but Frank pretty much videos every single breath he takes at these shows mm-hmm. and puts some wild things on, like him riding, was it a roller coaster? <laughs> yeah, virtual roller coaster. Did that get you? And- it looked like you got you a little sick. Oh, it, it, yeah, not, not someone to, uh, you know, I saw a couple of people do it before me and they were like, their back hurt. It was throwing you around. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like prepare and lock myself in a little bit, yep. but uh, they didn't have it. So last year, Omicron hit. So they were going to have in person and they wanted to have it in person. I went, but a lot of companies canceled late, which was bad. And the year before was COVID. The year before that, they had this big, massive tank in the middle of the floor and I put a wetsuit on and jumped in. You have a little motorized. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. I mean, I look like a pretty. I, I'll, I'll say nice and chubby, but it was like a fat seal. I don't know if you, anyone who, the, those suits that you wear. I mean, yes. people with perfect bodies. Well-nourished. We call that at our age, we call that well-nourished. Yes. Yes. Uh, very, it means that you're happy, right? That's right. Thing. Yes. To make, people, to make fat people feel better. Yes. A very a jovial fella. <laughs> yeah. You know, jovial is always a coach. must be fat. really happy. Yeah. Well, let me, let me, we're going to, we're going to put that as a teaser because I want to talk about CES to a degree and I really want to understand more about what, if anything, was even exciting this year. But um, the the things I want to kind of talk about is, I think, some of the market items for a moment. Because I know the CES stuff will be exciting and people are going to wait to hear it. But the market stuff, people are like, ah, but there's some pretty interesting things happening right now. And 
you know, there, there's this January, which we're seeing the, just a tremendous uptick in interest. You know, the, all of a sudden the, the page turns from one year to the next and all of a sudden things are different, right? It's like everybody's waiting till, you know what? I'm not going to invest in 22. I'll wait till 23. What the hell? But that doesn't really last very long if there isn't good underlying, um, you know, fundamentals. So here we are in, and I've been talking about this, in uh, 2023, expectations for 225 on the S&P, uh, forward earnings estimates on the multiples, somewhere about 7.5 right now, when the S&P is close to the 4,000 range. We're starting to see companies come out. What so far have you noticed, and what are you thinking about earnings season going forward? Uh, they're coming down tremendously, earnings. And I think it's funny how in September, uh, and this happened last quarter, and we said, so right now, if you're looking, we're in the first week of earnings season, it's going to say 70% plus of companies have beat their estimates. These estimates have been revised over 7% lower since September. Right. 7% lower. Okay. Average, if you go back to the, to the 50s, usually you're growing earnings at 8% a clip on average, around that number, right? That's how much they've been lowered going into this quarter. They've been significantly lower last time to the point that you, you know, instead of 70 companies, you're probably more like 10 to 15% of the companies beating estimates. But what you see is an estimate they put on TV, which is the average estimate of all the JP Morgans and a sell-side analysts, and they have that average, the mean estimate, whatever. Uh, and that's the estimate it beats. And people say, wow, they blew out the estimate, you know, but you have to look at the numbers. I mean, we just saw this with Netflix, like Netflix numbers were terrible, like in the earnings. Well, they missed, but if you they look, missed terribly. They missed terribly, but their subscriber ad was 7.6 million compared to 4.5 million. Right. And, and you're looking like, wow, it blew them out. They're growing again. They're not growing. If the 7.6 number is fantastic and that's just leading the stock higher uh, right after earnings. But those net ads, the global streaming paid net ads are down 7% year over year. You wouldn't think that, right? You would think, wow, they're up there growing again. So the numbers get revised so much. So at the end of the day, the numbers are the numbers. If you're supposed to earn $5 and it gets revised to $3 and you do $310, it's still $310, which is a dramatic decline from where it was, which means what? It means that your stock is getting much more expensive because if your stock is holding up but your earnings are coming down, that means your PE ratio is going to go higher and higher. So when we're seeing stocks at very expensive levels here that, I, that I'm worried about because that earnings adjustment for 225 it's going to come down to 180. Uh, 180. I, I, whoa, I, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold, hold it. You don't get away with something like that. By the way, speak up a little bit too. You don't get yep. away with this because I know you're hiding behind this. You don't, want to, you don't want people to know you just said 180. You know, 180. 180. 180 is a yeah. far cry from 200, by the way. So, you know, okay. just back I, I, on my last podcast, we talked about this. The back of the envelope math when it comes to looking at pricing, and it's very simple. And then we're talking about totality of stocks. We're not talking about each individual stock here. But 180, if you have a 20-time multiple on 180, if you did, that's only 3,600. And that's a lot of multiple for a low earnings. Yes. So where do I get that calculation? Yeah, where do you get that calculation? Okay, which sounds crazy, right? Crazy, like, right. Well, yeah, I'm repeating just, it back. I'm one of the people that actually you know, do the research and put the numbers behind it. <laughs> so it's not like, oh, the market's going to go up 300%. So- if so wait, you're not talking at, from your ass like most of the people on CNBC. Exactly. Ah, this is how I'm figuring it out. And gotcha. tell me if I'm wrong, yep. if I'm okay. Okay, because COVID was the greatest thing that happened to Wall Street and earnings. Yeah. Okay, and here's yeah. why. If it didn't happen, we would be down a lot further now. Then here's what happened. So if you look at 2018, we had earnings of $160, total S&P 500 earnings. Remember, we just said it's 225. Those are the estimates. They were at 240 not long ago. That's three months ago. They're like at 225 now. They're going to keep going lower and lower and be revised lower. Uh, the following year, the market didn't really do that good in 2018. 2019, the market exploded higher, right? Whatever mm -hmm. it was, 30% or whatever it was. Uh, and yet earnings fell. 
So we peaked in 2018 at one at 160 because 2019 we were at 159 dollars in earnings, a slight decline, right? So we and then when I say 2019, I mean December, right? So we're looking at January 2020, right before COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So we peaked at earnings. The reason why the market went up is because you know Trump stood on his chair and said we need to lower rates and lower rates. And well, lower and rates. we also had the tax cuts, the corporate tax cuts helped, and, and, and tax big. cuts helped. Even in, in 2017, I think. Yeah. It, but yeah, you're right. Those tax cuts and everybody, you know, just, you know, you saw, but it, you saw it, it didn't reflect in earnings. It reflected in earnings before that. It reflected in earnings from 2017 to 18. Okay. So now we have peak earnings going into COVID and then they shut down everything, right? So our peak earnings without COVID, without stimulus, without anything was 160. It was 159, 160, right? That's where we peaked. With everything going great, that's where we peaked. And this is when interest rates were where? They were well below 2%. And for the previous years, they were around 0%. Now, if we look where rates are, we just raised rates by the fastest amount in the Fed era, uh, tremendously, right? Mm-hmm. Our terminal rate's going to go at least 5%. Some Fed guys, terminal rate guys means that's the highest, that's where it's going to peak. But now we have Fed governors saying it's going to be 5.5%, right? We don't have the Fed buying bonds anymore. They're not injecting money into the system, right? But yet, we're expecting earnings to be 225. Why? Because we injected $11.5 trillion into this system in 18 months during lockdowns. The Fed right now is doing everything they can to remove this liquidity. They're raising rates. And again, people say, well, that's factored in. If it's five, five and a half percent, what's not being factored and not talked about is the hundreds and billions of dollars every single quarter from now, probably for the next six to eight quarters, the Fed is reducing its balance sheet. They're shrinking its balance sheet. Yeah, they're at eight bill, eight trillion right now. They were at eight and a half trillion at their peak. And they're trying to, which I think they'll be unsuccessful at reducing that down. And that is, like you said, the easiest thing to say, Frank, is this. It's just the opposite. It's a mirror image opposite of what happened during COVID with injection of money, stimulus. You're taking that money out of the system. Yeah, you're taking it out. Take it's the exactly money out of the system. That now, should we be at 160? I'll give you 180. Maybe, I mean, I'll be surprised if we get if we're higher than that. I know that Goldman and JP Morgan, right? So both of those guys are where? They're at, at Morgan Stanley. That Morgan Stanley guy, I think, came down to 200 now, 195. And, and Mike Wilson. They get, they get, yeah. yeah. So they were, where was he? He was at, I think it was at 210. He came down to 195. It's going to continue to go lower because we're going to see the constant destruction of demand th- this entire year without the Fed's help. This is the first time in what, more than 12 years, 13, 14 years? A, 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 lifetime no for, a lifetime for a lot of investors. Yeah. So if you have experience, a lot of people have 10 years of experience. That's a lot of experience. And you're, you know, a seasoned analyst. Remember that person has only lived at a time where we had basically zero interest rates and the and the Fed flooding. You know, we had a, a, a it's a Fed put, right? We had a bottom in the market. No matter what happened, just buy stocks, buy growth stocks. They're always going to come back. The Fed's injecting money. They're going to bail out everybody. It's always going to be fine. Those days are gone. The Fed can't do that because inflation still is at six and a half percent, which would be astronomical, and we'd be like, holy cow! But it went all the way up to ten percent. Now we see six percent. We're happy. At 6%, the Fed's not going to stop. And if the market continues to stay where it is, that's the danger because it's going to give the green light for the Fed to continue. Right, because financial conditions, actually the financial conditions index, you look at the Bloomberg and they talk about how um, we look at, you know, loose policy or strict um, policy. You look at what the totality of the liquidity is out there, the the totality of how things Mm -hmm. are operating in the markets. And- we had a negative or a tight financial conditions uh, from last July through pretty much, I would say, November, give or take. We're popping back into the loose financial conditions area, and the Fed's probably pissed off about that because they're we're, – now, when I say loose, it's not about the Fed only. It's about a lot of different components. So 
the Fed has been pretty serious. They're going to possibly, you know, increase uh, 50 base points, 25 base points and continue on doing this. And one of, the, one of the things you're talking about is a slowdown. Now, again, you know, you talked about in your notes that you sent me, you know, maybe a 5% drop in the markets coming up, which is nothing compared to what you're talking about here. You're talking about a much more significant drop off from the level of 4,000 in the S&P 500. If you have a 200 um, you know, 200 uh, uh, earnings per share, just 200, and you do a market multiple, you're, again, 3,400. And that's that's a market multiple when there's not a recession. Do you think a recession is on the horizon? It's guaranteed. I mean, we already had a recession, right? We had a recession last year. The reason why they, they changed the definition for the first time in 50 years, that it's not too straight cause of negative GDP growth, is because we had, uh, you know, jobs are very strong. Now we just realized in the second quarter, and by the way, the third quarter is going to get revised soon, and the fourth quarter is going to get revised after that. We saw revisions in there. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, right? I believe in in, in doing the research. Uh, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a data guy. We were off. This is the Fed reporting. This is the Philly Fed reporting that we had 1.2 million jobs. And that's how many jobs that we said that we added in the quarter. Now that's been revised where it's just 10,000 that we added to over a million. When you're 95% wrong, think about it, where the plus minus on a poll is usually 3%. They were off by 95%, which means that's intentional. It was intentional where the numbers were reported. Hmm. You don't miss like that. It's impossible. It's a, it's, it's a mathematical, whatever. It's statistically impossible to miss by that amount without doing something on purpose. So that means that we were already in a recession, right? So what's scary is can we really trust these numbers? I've never seen in my lifetime doing this 30 years of revision like that in my life. But there's a reason, right? We're heading into election year. It's just a little fishy. A million, right? So now you you have the definition of recession, but you can't say a recession. It's no longer two straight quarters of negative GDP growth. Again, put your politics aside. Put your politics aside. Mm. Two straight quarters of negative GDP. No, 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 but jobs are good. So we're not defining that. Well, now we're realizing jobs weren't good back then. You told us they were good, but now we realize they weren't good. So can we trust the data going forward? I don't know. That's a whole nother The whole argument. thing is very odd. I mean, even look at the jobs data today. You know, you have 190,000 print this week on uh, initial claims and you have uh, 3.5%. Listen, I have John Williams coming on next week on the show. He mm -hmm. is the uh, gentleman who runs the Shadow Stats website, which does the alternative stats and goes back and looks at unrevised data if it was done according to historical calculations and statistical measures and shows a much different picture for inflation, for jobs, and all that. Pretty fascinating. But that's so, next, yeah, next, next week. No, that's great stuff. And getting to your question, are we going to hit a reset? We're definitely going to hit a reset. I mean, look at the layoffs that we're seeing. We're seeing it from the major technology companies, the biggest companies in the world. We talk about trillion-dollar valuations for Microsoft and Apple. And they're laying off incredibly right now, right? So, And and this is this week. I mean, this week you're looking at, what, 10,000 Microsoft said they're laying off. I think it's 8,000 Amazon. And Google just came out and said they're, they're laying off a ton of people as well. So, you know, when you see all these layoffs coming off, it, it, it's it, it tells me that the sector that has less lower – has not hit a bottom yet. You're not laying off this week. You're not going to be laying off your, your employees unless, you know, you believe like going forward, you see demand really, really getting crushed. Even, even. Well, they're also doing it very close to their earnings announcements. Well, that's, I, I mean, that's I a way to get up a, there. Yeah. They use yeah. it as a crutch. And that's the thing where, where will we see earnings? Where, where are they going to be able to lower these earnings enough where, where, you know, we have buybacks. Some of these companies, not all of them are buying back. You look at Disney, who doesn't have a dividend anymore, and Ford can't buy back its stock because you, you just don't have the balance sheets anymore. So the balance sheets are getting incredibly weaker where the bigger technology could still buy back their stock and, and pad their earnings, which, you know, they've done for a very long time, legally manipulate their earnings. We talk about that all the time. Uh, but now you look at Nike can't do that anymore. Why? Because their growth model is China and China was closed and they're saying it's reopening. And, and 
I have great contacts in China too, because I have, you know, the, my Wall Street Unplugged podcast goes out to over 100 mm-hmm. countries. I'm sure you have those yeah. as well. I have yeah. great contacts around the world. Um, and even during COVID, you know, doctors emailing me and all of them said the same thing. Don't mention my name. That's why I realized, why not? We're trying to help people here. And you realize there's a whole agenda behind it. With China, it's a very older population. Okay. Just because they reopen, think about when we reopen. They're not just going to go out there and be like, oh, okay, everything's fine. Everybody re. I mean, for you to think we're going to see this massive growth out of China is insane. I mean, the the, the move that we've seen in China-related stocks, I'd be selling off. Oh, my God. Crazy uh, moves. I mean, just crazy moves on anticipation and everything is fine there, and it's not. I mean, things are really for – the, for, for them to rise up, when you speak against the government in China, you disappear, mm. okay? You, you, you're getting a lot of trouble, okay? It's not like here, you know, you can say whatever you want, and, and some people take that for granted with our freedom of speech. You don't have that in China. For them to rise up and say enough's enough and risk that, that's how bad the conditions were there when they were locked doors, not feeding people. It was insane. A lot of these people left these areas and they go back to mid Midland China. They're not immediately going to come back to the Foxconn's and stuff like that. It, it, it's just not going to reopen. So what was the growth model over the past 12 years? It was China and it was the Fed. And both of those are removed from the market. So I'm not saying that you got to run to the hills. Well, you have multiple, you listen, got- yeah, Frank, you have multiple headwinds. There's no question about that, yes. right? We can go on with the fact that we yes. have the inflation. And the one thing that I've been talking to my clients with all week, we've been doing client meetings all week. And I said, I want to explain something to you. You know, when inflation settles down, we still have the higher prices to contend with. So that's a big issue that we're going to deal with in terms of margins, in terms of cost factors. Then the second thing, you have war and energy and who knows what's going on over there. Um, so there's, 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 and then you have China, of course, and, and who knows what the COVID ramifications are from their, you know, going from zero COVID to 100% COVID overnight. There's a lot happening there. So let me ask you this final question then, uh, wrapping this point up. Well, two points. One, uh, what, for most people that haven't gone through a recession, what are they supposed to do? I mean, I think there's this thinking that, oh my God, if someone says we're in a recession, we have to go out and you know, break windows, steal televisions, overturn cars, put our neighborhoods on fire and freak out. But that's not really the case, right? I mean, a recession is just a normal process by which we go through the peak to trough economic cycle. And it's usually good, right, to get rid of the excess. It's usually good, but our government didn't allow recessions to happen in the past 12 years, right? We weren't allowed yeah. to have a recession. Right. Not allowed. Years, right? And a lot of politics got injected into it on both sides. Uh, you know, forcing the Fed's hand and moves and stuff like that, which we see. So it's a political organization. It's not separate from everything else. We all know that. We agree. We see Trump. We saw, you know, Biden. We saw Obama. I mean, they influenced the Fed, right? And, and they're going mm-hmm. to, again, low, that's that's really more of a deeper point here. It's it's why the Fed's in so much trouble because uh, they basically revised in this 1980s the, the CPI because rentals never really got more than 3%. Even when we had the housing boom during the credit crisis, just before the credit crisis, when you know home prices are going up twenty percent on average for three four years in a row, rentals were steady at three percent. The way they revised it and made it is so okay. We're never going to have inflation from this because we're going to make shelter a big part of CPI. This way, we don't have to worry about it after the nineteen eighties, which is the last time we had inflation. And, and now it came back to bite them in the ass because shelter is such a big part of the CPI number because of rentals. And rentals were up 13%, like 17% for two years in a row. And they were like, whoa, what's going on? And now you've seen inflation explode because of, you know, a large component is rentals. And then you have food and energy and that's 40% of total. Again, that, and that's by the way, for anybody that doesn't know, starting with next month's number, the revising CPI calculation once again. Of course. Yeah. 
So you asked a really good question with a recession because we weren't allowed to have a recession. Now the Fed can't prevent this. The Fed has no choice. And that's why they're saying, okay, one thing about the Fed, you could hate them. In the past nine months, seven months, nine months, they've done exactly what they said they were going to do. Yeah. After they did the yeah. about phase when they said there's no inflation and don't worry about it, it's only going to be transitory. They told you exactly what they were going to do and they did it. For reason 75 basis down, we're going to – Lower the pace. So you got to believe the Fed as an investor that they're going to continue to raise probably through March at least, right? That's what's anticipated, which would take us over 5%. But you have to realize this isn't a growth market. In the last 12 years, you could buy any growth stock that pulled back and you would have made money on it probably months later. I mean, if we look at COVID, it was 30 days. Yeah. We locked down the was world. It, it was yeah. a 30-day sell-off in the markets. Right. And then we finished 2020 like a rocket strong, ship, right? We went up a lot. Strong, strong, so We don't have that, though. We don't have – the Fed can't do that anymore because we have inflation that's very, very, very high, okay? And right. they're shrinking their balance sheet. They're yeah. not buying bonds. So the fact that you don't have that – and this is why I love it because it means a lot between you. Between I mean, valuations matter. Fundamentals matter. Start listening to those guys that people used to make fun of, like the David Einhorns and and – the Chainoses who were shorting stocks and everything was going up because we had zero interest rates. Numbers are going to matter. So, you know, management teams matter. Who's going to be able to cut costs? Who, mm -hmm. What you're going to see is a total addressable market. They're going to shrink, right? So it's going to shrink for every that total addressable market. But the bigger players are going to take market shares from the smaller players who are going to go out of business. And you're yep. seeing it in retail. You're seeing it in crypto. You're seeing it across all industries. That's where you want to buy the main players that are really kicking everybody's ass. And, and you know, that's how you outperform the markets. Yep. I want to ask you uh, about um, what's the next potential catalyst for stocks. And I want to talk about CES. But before we do that, I want to talk about an interesting program available from Interactive Brokers. Now, here's a question for everybody listening. Are you looking for ways to earn extra income? Well, sure, right? Well, Interactive Brokers Stock Yield Enhancement Program lets you earn extra income on fully paid shares of stock in your brokerage account. And here's how it works. You lend your shares to traders who pay uh, an interest rate to borrow them. And you receive 50% of the income earned. It's that simple. You know, stocks that are in your account basically are in your account. And it's going to be lended, loaned out. And you get back part of the interest. Open an interactive broker's account today and start earning extra income. Learn more at ibkr.com slash S-Y-E-P. Pretty cool program. Check that out. All right. Back to our discussion with Frank now. Uh, the catalyst for stocks. What is potentially, once we maybe get through this and, and think about beyond the next earnings season, is there, a, is there something else on the horizon that may be exciting in any sector that is really piquing your interest? I think that so instead of saying what's a catalyst like for, for the markets, right? And we always view what's the markets are going to do yeah, right? yeah. When, when, you know, technology is a big focus and, and, and what is it, whatever, 12, 15%, whatever is the SP 500. Focus on the catalyst of individual stocks because those that are, you know, cutting off their debt, making sure that the ones that the, with the best balance sheets, the ones that are lowering their expectations, I, I love to see. I love companies that have earnings that are very strong, but they're coming out and saying, hey, you know what? We're worried. This is what you have to worry about. But it's the companies that are very optimistic. Though Those are, I think, are, are pretty easy shorts. I think a lot of retailers, department stores, uh, Nordstrom came out. I, I mean, Macy's, those places are going to be empty for months. I mean, everybody months? did their shopping already. I think you're being kind. I, I We made a lot of money on on uh, TJX, right, with TJ Maxx brands and stuff like that. And I just went into a TJX. There was nothing in there. There was no inventory. So 
how does a retail operate in this environment where you want low inventory, but you don't want inventory where people walk in the store? There was nothing there. There was nothing there for me mm. to buy. I mean, I mean, you know, you see the racks and everything. And I just, I said, let me see if I can grab a couple of shirts before I went on a trip, a business trip. It, there was nothing there. Uh, so, you know, and Nike has excess inventory of $9 billion. So how do you manage the, those inventories? But be careful with retailers. Uh, but companies who have managed to to lower their costs uh, tremendously, who are ahead of the game, uh, you've seen second rounds of cuts in, in, in unemployment and layoffs and things like that. So I would look at individual names. One sector that I really like is, is believe it or not, gold. I haven't said that in a while. And I don't like gold as a safe haven. I like gold because these are the new technology stocks. Now, why hasn't gold gone up, gold stocks gone up? I'm talking about the majors, the ones that actually produce, not the garbage ones, although those are probably going to do well also because we're seeing gold go up to almost all-time highs, right, in 1900. Some companies like Newmont, Barrick, they produce for 1100, right? So that number went up a lot because the cost and the tires and the oil and everything and to build these mines and to produce the, these, the gold went up tremendously. Now those costs are coming down. They're coming down sharply. Uh, but yet you're seeing gold prices go up. So not only are their margins going higher because gold's going higher, but their costs are going lower. These are great plays. So this is the equivalent. Let me just say this is the equivalent of an energy play. Let, let, just follow me here for a second. Mm -hmm. When oil prices are going up and the prices to drill are not. Same same yes. concept, right? Same concept. Yeah. And you find better technology. And that's what happened with fracking. Remember, it used to be $60 a barrel to frack. Now it's probably around 42 to 45. Yes, there's a couple of wells within the Permian in three different counties. You could you could drill for you know, $29, $30. But you know, anything over 40. So we're at 80 to oil. So, but a lot of you know gold companies are trading, they're up a lot. Where, you know, gold, a lot of these companies are well off their high still. So for me, fundamentally. Those numbers need to adjust. Those numbers, when I say are too high, when mm -hmm. it comes to earnings in so many sectors and even technology, uh, in gold, they're significant. I mean, they're going to go up tremendously. They're very conservative right now. That's I think uranium is starting to to, to really catch a bid here. Uh, it's twenty four seven base load power means that you could use it all the time. You don't have the the wind to blow or, or the sun to be out. And now there's a big push because of what happened with Ukraine and. And in Europe and the war and Russia and things like that. that well, I think people are also realizing that it's not this dirty word. They need it's to, not. It's they need not, to change the. They need to change the name of nuclear energy to something else. Just change the yes. name. You know that. That's well, what we do all the time, nice, right? Vienna. You know really nice. Let's call it Vienna Energy or something. Here's the thing, because I think it's ninety percent of these. <laughs> so if you're looking at, at the nuclear plants. They're built on the ring of fire. If you know what the ring of fire is, just pull up a map. It's a big ring that goes around the world. That you'll see it where we have the most earthquakes. I know. What's <laughs> the insanity with that? Well, who did that? I don't know. But that's where the most, I don't know. It was like, just, you know, that's Fukushima, same thing. That's where it happens. You're looking at Chernobyl. That's where it happens. So it's just, you know, maybe you get a little smarter that way. But anyway, <laughs> which you really have no risk, but there's very, very little risk as we see, even though, you know, it's a good story to tell of how dangerous it is. It's not. It's the cleanest form of energy, the safest and the cheapest. What about healthcare? I mean, the healthcare area is exploding with exciting items that continue, although, you know, the, obviously with a the current administration trying to hold back pricing, um, you know, there's a lot of these new weight loss things going on, a lot of cures for all sorts, you know, Alzheimer's drugs coming out. Um, obviously, the big thing is no longer the just the COVID shot for three companies. Um, mm -hmm. Is that an area that's more of a safe haven? I potentially? love. Yeah, I love biotech. Yeah, I really love biotech. So biotech, I feel like it's under the radar because people talk about how wrecked crypto got and people talk about how wrecked the market got. 
if you look at biotech, it started to fall a lot earlier than the overall market. Uh, and there was more leverage in that industry than I think there was in crypto and for, for major funds. There because, always is, yeah. You know, some of these guys, they're top 10 holdings. I mean, they, they some of these holdings were like $60, some you know, it's $80. They're like $4, $4, $5 now. They're trading below cash and they're making money. I, I, like you don't see that often in biotech and the biotech... I'm not talking about taking a shot on a company that has a phase two. Yes, that's worth it. And if you could, you know, again, all in, you know, high risk, high reward. I'm talking about buying really good names, solid mid cap names that are generating money, that have a business model, that have drugs, that have FDA approval, that's generating the revenue on and earnings. And these things have fallen tremendously and they have pretty strong balance sheets. And I'm seeing a lot of these companies out there. So uh, we have a couple in our portfolio, you know, I share this with paid subscribers, but it's not hard to find value in that sector. Yeah. And again, people are going to get sick. You have a lot of health care being paid oh, by yes. the government, which is, you know, to and people are getting way. older, older and older, older, aren't we? Yes. And by the way, mention where people can get in touch with you right now, because that's a good segue into how to get more information on your fabulous newsletters. Yes, you go to CurziaResearch.com and, and one product that we've pushed for a year, uh, and it was a very expensive product to be $5,000 a year, we lowered it to $500 for three months is Money Flow Trader, which teaches you how to buy long dated puts. What is it called? Uh, uh, Money Flow Trader. Money so it, Flow Trader. Trader. Sometimes and Frank some, eats his words. So I'm going to say yeah, if everybody's Money Flow Trader. Money Flow Trader. MFT. So, and we lowered it to 500 for three months so people could take a look at it. And uh, I'm glad we did. I, I created this newsletter in 2017, 18, knowing that earnings were slow and the market's slow. And we're in a seven, eight year bull market. And I was wrong for the first couple of years. Uh, this isn't something that just protects you, right? Where, you know, you'll have your long positions and, and you're only going to lose the amount of money you put in, so you're not shorting. But with the volatility we're seeing in earnings season, we saw a Chegg report, we saw a Nordstrom report, we're going to see 20, 30% falls and, and having those long data puts, even nine months out, uh, it's a great strategy. And that portfolio was up 30% last year. The average position annualized is up over 100%. I never use annualized in this. I do because some of those positions were two, three, four months. Uh, yeah. And it's a great and volatile markets. And, Again, you need to understand and learn how to make money during these times and at least protect yourself. And that has helped a lot of our subscribers. Cool. And I'm thankful. All right, let's go over on the last few minutes we have left here and talk about CES. So you've been doing this for years. I keep on mentioning to you every single year that one of these years I'm going to go with you. And I've never <laughs> stepped up. And this year, to be honest with you, it looked exhausting. Like you said, watching you go through and look at all the different booths and exhibits with with, and God knows what the nightlife was. I don't want to even talk about it. But the the daily grind of seminars, of of intros into metaverse and trying on this goggle, going in that car, you know, swinging that racket. What was the most striking about this year's CES compared to others? Uh, what most striking is how every company talked about all the major companies, and it surprised me. Talked about merging the real world, physical world with the virtual world and bringing that experience to everybody through concerts, through games, through live events where you could be on the field, you could be there like virtually and see everything and talk to everybody. Uh, and that, that's basically what the metaverse is, the future of the metaverse, right? The metaverse is a terrible word and I know everybody throws around like nothing, but there's so many different things with open metaverse, closed metaverse. Open is you own your own content. You get create whatever you want. Like, you know, Right now, everything you post on everywhere, everybody owns it. Everything that you post on Twitter, Twitter owns it. Facebook owns it. They own everything, right? Yeah. You don't realize that. But that's why they could throw you off their platforms. But that was a big theme. And, and you mentioned that, you know, you wanted to go with me and, and the work that goes in. A lot of times uh, when I go there, it's 2.2 million square feet of space. 
I tracking, you know, on my watch, it's about six, seven miles of walking, uh, mentally talking to 20, 30 companies, the ones that I like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do, uh, you know, interviews, I interviewed, you know, executives from Microsoft who never have a, a booth there. They had two major presences there. One was in the metaverse and one was in the auto section. Uh, so the amount of work that goes in, it's a lot of work. And I love trying these things out and I do it every year. I'm there for five, six days because I have a media badge, you get early access. But for me, it's the greatest experience because you learn, like I saw, you know, cloud go from, you know, no one even knew what it was. Now everybody knows what it was because, you know, it's now you know, individual and you have it on your phone and cloud for iPhones and Samsung phones, whatever. Uh, just seeing IOT and, and like just every device is going to get connected. And I was like making fun of them. So I think it was Chambers from Cisco said, uh, I think 2011, that 7 billion devices or 11 billion devices going to be connected. I was like, yeah, yeah. Your washing machine, you can world. talk to your washing machine. You're like, why would I want to do that? Yeah. And, but anything that has a plug or batteries, yeah. the whole world's connected. Right. And it turned out to be super conservative uh, just to see the, 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 the wearables. I mean, there's just so many technologies and, you know, at, it's a good chance to talk to the people in the booths because they're very, very smart. When you talk to the CEO, they're going to talk up their company that's supposed to, they're going to tell you what you want to hear, whatever. These guys are unbelievable because, you know, there's no filter there. They're talking about their company, but you can see the excitement. I remember like seven years ago talking about, you know, cloud and say, you know, what inning? And the guy's like, we're not even in the first inning. And it was, it's just like, like six years ago. And I was like, what? I was like, it's so big now. What even, you know, whatever, Zor and AWS and, and Google uh, really ramping up. And he was right. And just to see, you know, now it's AI being integrated into every single, into an oven that Samsung made. Wait, you don't have to worry. This is going to really suck for you because you love to cook. But anything you cook, it automatically cooks you a perfect, a perfect meal. Turkey, whatever, just throw it in there. It's going to learn from itself and it'll cook it perfect for you where you don't have to worry about it. That's good. Else. My God. <laughs> Finally, I'm sick of it. Everybody wants me to cook all the time. <laughs> no, I'm not sick of it. I love your Facebook posts and, and those pictures of you cooking so, all the time, which is awesome. So the, the, did you get any workable ideas out of it? So the big workable ideas is, I mean, I was invited to a movie studio after party, which was unbelievable. And they showed you how on the movie set, you're not going to eat green screen anymore. It's all virtual. And thanks to COVID bringing the studio to the actual actor and these people they had a Jurassic Park set there and they were just showing, hey, we're going to move a tree from here to here. If we had a real set, that's almost, it takes, a, it's hard to do. Even green screen is a lot of technology and dots all over and stuff like that. But they were showing how the 3D images and the fog behind it and how, you know, the shadows change all along or you know, just using AI to learn from it, how it just creates in one second, like the perfect, it, you know, while they're doing this in the background, which is a massive screen, they're showing like a big TV screen of how you would see it. And it's amazing. Like no fog, fog, uh, trees being moved, the 3D, the shadows, it looks, you know, reels could be and they're doing this in two seconds. Uh, I think that's going to be the, like the future. I'm not too sure what the plays are off of that. Um, and I will say that LG, Sony, they always have their big presence. They, they were great. Uh, but I was surprised that we didn't see a couple of companies there, like the Intel's. Uh, one of the main floors that that's all in was closed. Qualcomm used well, Intel the wasn't presence. there in the especially in the uh, in in the automobile auto, automotive area. Uh, you know what? They maybe they had something small, but they have the South Hall, right? The convention center when you walk in, and Intel was the first company. It was mad. This whole South Hall was closed. This is where you know LG was, but they moved over more to the Central Hall, and everything. All the big companies are now in the Central Hall. Um, Samsung, I wasn't really too impressed with, with with anything. It was more, you know, a lot of people are trying to get you know the glasses right, but they're still bulky until they get glasses that look like your real glasses that are. Mm -hmm. You know, that really I could look at you and 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 just talk and I have speakers and I could say, Andrew, it's going to pull up everything about you in two seconds on my glasses that you can't see. Right. 
until they look like that. But, you know, we're still a little far away from that. Uh, but overall, I was just, it wasn't as exciting as it usually is in terms of trying new devices and going in there. Everything was like an extension of AI. Metaverse had a big presence for the first time ever, which I was surprised. I told you Microsoft was there. But overall, you know, the VR, AR theme is real. They're all focusing on it. Uh, and EV technology. I thought I'd see more nicer cars. And, and I'm not a believer that it's going to be a massive market. I think there's still a learning curve there. If you want to scale something in technologies, you have to make it easier and cheaper. And it's EVs are not easier or cheaper. Right. You know, you can go to a gas station and fill up your tank very, very easily, but it's very hard to do. And the competition in that market, I'd be worried about a lot of these companies uh, in the EV sector because the costs are rising. Uh, you're not seeing the sales. And plus, we're going to a recession where it's supposed to be better on costs. It's not. A lot of these companies are still losing uh, money on every single EV they sell. Yeah, I mean, we just saw all the stuff that just went on with – you know, Tesla's price cuts uh, here and abroad, which were pretty substantial. Smart, though. Tesla's cutting prices while Ford and GM are raising prices tremendously. Well, they're cutting right? prices. One of the things is because sales are down. But secondly, they want to be in on those tax credits. That was one of the ways that Tesla mm -hmm. really got the thing going in the beginning. Of course. Yeah, you know, very, he, very he, smart. Listen, Elon Musk has fed off the tit of uh, U.S. government stimulus mm -hmm. and um, credits for a very, very long time and multiple businesses. Yeah. Smart guy. Well, here's I'm the thing. Yeah, it's good. good here's idea. the thing. That was available to every other car company. I agree. They were making fun of him when I he was agree. doing it. No, I, and I, now look where they are what now, do. what they're doing. Smart. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, he listen, it's like what Trump said. He's like, you know, oh, with the taxes. He goes, yeah, I save money in taxes because it's a system you created. I know how to make myself around it and work around it. That's how come I can yep. change it. Exactly. I was like, okay, that's that's kind of true. So. Let's, uh, let, let's close down on uh, one of the things that you do like. I know that you have been a big advocate of certain areas of the cryptoverse, but just a very broad area we'll talk about, and, and not so much on others. You know, I've been always very concerned about the lenders. I never mm -hmm. understood the whole thing, and, well, mm -hmm. now we know what happened. But you do like a stock uh, in that area, and, and, and the particular stock is, uh, we'll call it the uh, brokerage of crypto, and that's Coinbase. Can you tell me why? I mean, Coinbase is, one, they have no FTX exposure. Two, they have $5.6 in liquidity, okay? This company came out, whatever, $250, $250 billion valuation or, or whatever it was. Even I think it was even higher. Uh, and it was incredible because when you go public, you raise a lot, a lot of money. Your yep. stock is usually expensive. It goes higher, but you're raising a lot of money. It's why maybe you should start looking at some of the SPACs that came out super valuations because now they're still growing a little bit and they're sitting on massive cash balances and these things are down 90%. Uh, but when I look at Coinbase and the fundamentals behind it, even for me, it's – fully regulated. It has the insurance for the accounts. We're in the process of opening up account. It's taking three weeks because they're ripping us apart in every single thing, which I love, right? Because if you have a real company, that's what you want. But I want to be able to do crypto. They're becoming the one-stop shop. You look at trading activity from retail is down. It's down 40% year over year. It's going to be down a little bit more, but they're transitioning more where a lot of their business is coming from institutions. They become the trusted name in the space. They have a very, very strong balance sheet. Again, no, no exposure. FTX well, plus or everybody else is dropping off. And that's why it's leading to more institutions yeah. coming onto this platform. Yeah. But more importantly, you're going to see what you saw, you know, you talk about interactive brokers, which I know you guys, you know, you're a big fan of. Uh, it's a reason why that stock's near its 52 week high is when you see higher interest rates, it's not filtering into the banks because their fee businesses are getting crushed. Right. And, right. and you know, whatever. The net interest margin. Banking. a lot, Yeah, exactly. But you know, the net interest margin should be going higher, but, since it was zero, basically, such a long yeah. time, an interest rate zero, they did so much on their fee business. Now their fee business is cutting off because, you know, again, trading. But when you look at the brokerage firms, like even Coinbase, the interest income they have on. So if you keep it in a money market account, if you're trading, this goes into USDC. 
and you could stake this and they're the interest that they're offering and the interest that they're actually getting for Coinbase is going to lead from anywhere from 500 to a billion dollars in free money for these guys. As long as that's in USDC, which is incredible. And it could be less. Maybe people take it out and go into more crypto or whatever, but it's interesting. Well, that's always been that, the model for brokerages, right? Schwab and Morgan Stanley. Exactly. And that's all what these you guys, you know, so it's like keep it in cash, pay them very little on it, but we get the backside income on it. Exactly. And that spread is just a pure profit play. So if you're a believer in crypto like I am, is there, and I cover crypto for five years now and saying 90% of the stuff I research is bullshit. You got to get out of it. It's garbage. I can't find anything on it. But most of the innovation is coming from this space when it comes from DeFi, when it comes from payments, when it's just, it's disrupting the whole entire banking industry. And there's great companies that are down tremendously. But Coinbase, I mean, they're like one of the last ones standing. If you're not a believer in crypto, you hate crypto, don't buy Coinbase. I'm a believer that, yeah. If well, Ethereum, I think, I think, smart I, contracts. Think, I think if there's going to be, if we can regulate it like a brokerage conceptually, yep. um, that's even better for Coinbase. And that's what Coinbase is. So it's, it's a publicly traded company that's being regulated. Reporting quarterly results, you have to see all the numbers in a balance sheet, which you couldn't see. FTX, FTX wasn't about crypto. It was actual fraud. Okay, it was a person that was doing fraud overseas. Okay, it was crypto. It could happen in any industry. I know it's tied to crypto and maybe people, but that is actually fraud, right? Yeah. So that's a person that was fraudulent, taking money out of the accounts that were in there. It's like party poker and all that stuff. I mean, you know, so when you look at Coinbase, where you see all the assets, everything's there. It's a regulated company, and they're going to be one of the last ones standing. Uh, the company is really, you know, I think you can see incredible growth over over the next three to five years. It's a company I think you just buy. Short term, I think it's going to do very well. Long term, I think it's something you can leave to your kids, and it'll be very, very happy. Mm. Yeah, well, that's pretty strong. Well, I thank you very much, Frank Curzio from Curzio Research. Again, giving us some great information. A wonderful uh, look back at uh, at CES. Look forward to markets as well. Uh, go over to Curzio Research. Tell one more time how to get in touch with you. Give them the whole route. Just uh, go to CurzioResearch.com and also my podcast, Wall Street Unplugged, where oh, I interview yes. great guys and sometimes really good-looking guys like Andrew. Ah, listen, thank you so much, <laughs> Frank. You have a good one. Love you much, and uh, we'll see you soon. Love you too, man. Thanks, Thanks. buddy. Bye-bye. Well, that's going to wrap it for this episode of the Discipline Investor Podcast, episode number 800, 800. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Every week, next week, coming up, John Williams, and he is the founder and the keeper of the data that we had in the past that seems to be switched around in terms of employment, CPI, and other metrics. He's going to be on our show from shadowstats.com next week. Thanks a lot for joining me this week and every week. I'll see you again. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. 
Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 